Yo, yo, yo. Good morning, Nashville. Good morning, Nashville. Peace to the city. Peace to the planet. I want to thank you guys, as always, for tuning in to the Black Men Vent 2 podcast this morning. My name is Jonathan Davis. I go by Jumba. My name is Leon Davis. I go by L Dog. And we, again, thank you for your followership, your listenership, your uh, being patient with us as we continue to grow. And we just ask that you continue to uh, tune in to us on a regular basis because we're going to do the best we can to get you something every Monday, same time, same place, same channel. The Black Man Venture Podcast, again, want to thank you guys for tuning in to us this Monday morning. This is the season of abuse. So anybody or, or, or anybody that you may feel uh, this season will benefit Nashville, make sure that you guys share that as we know that you will. Um, the Body Mass Index of Abuse in a Black Man with our special guest coming up after our sponsorship segment break again Nash we want to thank you guys for supporting us thank you guys for listening to us you know our platforms the way you can find us at being Spotify Google Podcasts Apple Podcasts um, pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts we are there so Nash so make sure you check us out and as always again we want to thank you thank you thank you for supporting us without further ado Nashville after this sponsorship segment break we will bring to you guys the content for the day Nashville have you heard a black man then today. And just like that, Nashville, just like that, we're back. We're back, man. Good morning to you guys again. Monday morning, second episode, man. I'm excited. You excited? Oh, man, I, I love it. I I'm love excited. It. Yeah. Uh, man, welcome to the Black Man Vent 2 Podcast, Nashville. Have you heard a Black Man Vent today, man? We are thankful to God and thankful to you guys for um, allowing us to present you guys with another episode this year, man. We're talking about abuse, Nashville. Abuse, abuse, abuse. Uh, body mass index of abuse in a Black man with our special guest today, and I'm excited because, man, we got a good special guest. Uh, yes. He ain't no no average Joe Blow man. And I did some um, did some research, man, and some homework behind this uh, young guy, man. And um, when you talk about guys that are giving back to the community, yes. that's what our podcast is pretty much predicated on. And that's kind of how we want to do things moving out, through, out this year um, in terms of our service, man. And this guy... Uh, by all means has done that mm-hmm. and let me just just kind of get some notes out to you guys nashville man about our special guest today nashville again have you heard a black man vent today this guy that we have brought on today man for our abuse segment nationally nationally certified professional counselor mm-hmm. that means he didn't get the 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 uh diploma out the cereal box you yeah. know this is the real deal uh professional counselor yes, man yes, uh, master's degree in business administration he also has a master's of arts uh, a master's of arts degree in professional counseling, mm-hmm. 4,000 hours Nashville of clinical practice. That means he's been in the field. He's been, he's been fighting. He's done the battle and yes. he's done his homework and his research yes. to help reframe, reshape and rebrand the black man, one black man at a time. Yeah. Um, keep moving on, man. He's the founder of the King's Men Mentoring Organization in mm-hmm. Nashville. We'll give um, I special get some time to elaborate on that and um, how he uses that service and that platform to again just give back to the community. And lastly, Nashville, he's an author. Mm-hmm. Um, again, he's a he's a guy of all trades, an author of the book called The Miracle Maker: Under, Uncovering the Hidden Miracles in Mentorship. Again, that's the Miracle Maker: Uncovering the Hidden Miracles in Mentorship. Mm-hmm. Nashville, man, this this guy again, we we met him um, just just within the loops of life, if you mm-hmm. will. And yeah. um, you yeah. guys have kind of, again, as we always say, got <laughs> on to us about bringing our friends, our yeah. cousins, our uncles, and our nephews on. Yeah. So yeah. we decided to make sure that um, as we get into this new year, God has blessed us with uh, yes. two powerful uh, guests. The previous yes. guest that we had, Mr. Langley Shays, we again want to thank him yeah, man. Um, yes. for bringing his psychological background in and um, just giving us more of an understanding of black men and abuse. And Nashville, again, without further ado, our second guest uh, that has joined us, he has the same type of background. And um, again, it's just here to explain to us what we can do better as black men to handle abuse. Mm-hmm. Presenting to some, introducing to others, Mr. Eric Capehart. My good man, how you doing this yeah. time? I'm good, bro, man. I appreciate you uh, taking the time out to go and kind of do some research on me before having me on the show, man. I, I really do appreciate that. 
yes, it's kind of uh it's you know it's when you do things man you just kind of move through life you don't really think about like all the things that you stacked up or the accolades and all that stuff you just kind of move and so when i hear it repeated back to me it's it's kind of like a moment of reflection for me mm-hmm. because each one of those things that you mentioned um, there's a story behind each one of those things. There's a journey behind each one. And so as I'm listening to you talk about that, um, it just kind of makes me reflect on those journeys, man. So I, I definitely appreciate you taking the time to do that. Not a problem, man. Not yeah. a problem, man. We appreciate you yeah. for being um, a part of our platform and um, just helping us to understand that there are many, many ways, man, to tackle this thing called abuse. So um, yeah. without further ado, man, Pops, man, you want to hit Hit yeah. with, a, with a quick question. Well, Nashville again, have you heard a black man been today? This is what we want to do also. We want to give him a chance to just let us know, give us some more information on some things that you might be doing right now right, or right. some things yeah. that are coming up in the future, man. Because like my son said again, it's just encouraging for me being a man of my age to see a young black male doing some positive things because black men always get the negative rap, man, and the negative yeah. So when I see something positive, and then we get a brother that's willing to come on and speak about it. Hey, man, I'm all in, man. So, yeah, just give us a little bit more about where you at right now, what you're doing, man, and uh, what you got going on for the future. Yeah, man. So, number one, first and foremost, I am from Nashville. You know, I think it's uh, it's important to say that because I don't know about you guys, but, you know, we see the city changing, man. It's, you know, you, you barely run into a person, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right. that's from around here. And so... Anytime I get to tell somebody I'm from Nashville, I'm proud of that. So I am from Nashville, grew up out in South Nashville. I really done lived all around South, uh, all around Nashville. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, this is my hometown. But um, as as was mentioned in the in the intro, I am a professional counselor. Um, I have a private practice. My practice, my office is over here in Metro Center. Mm-hmm. I've been practicing for five years now. And um, prior to me becoming a professional counselor, as also mentioned in the uh, intro, is I'm the founder of a mentorship, a mentorship organization called All the King's Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically, what, when we started All the King's Men, uh, our whole mission was to reduce the likelihood that a black boy would come into contact with juvenile court. And so, you know, we, I mean, it was just really something that God placed upon my heart to do. Mm-hmm. I went on a, I was like, I, I was 26 years old when um, I founded All the King's Men. Mm-hmm. And the reason that it came about was because I was 26. I had graduated from Tennessee State yes. University. Yeah. I was running a, I had a lawn care business at the time. So I was making a lot of money, uh, spending all that money, you know what I'm saying? Just having a good time. Yeah. And uh, I just, I didn't feel fulfilled, man, to be honest with you guys. It just wasn't fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, me being the type of person that I am, I'm a spiritual man. And so I began to ask God for a purpose. I wanted to make sure that my life was meaningful and that it had purpose. Yeah. And so um, I went on a fast at the time. So I had never even done a fast in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at, at, in my church at the time, we were doing a fast. So I decided to do it as well. But I was very intentional about asking God for my purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think about the, it was a Wednesday night. It was about the third day into the fast. Um, it came to me. Uh, it was, and you guys may can relate to a story of the, what I'm about to describe. So the way all the King's men came to me, it was just a thought that kind of lingered in my mind. The name or the words, I should say, all the King's men, it just kept ringing in my head. And it, I mean, I had no reason to be thinking about those words. Um, but in the midst of that fast, and I was reminding myself, I was asking God to show me something. Yes, so all the King's men just kept ringing in my head, ringing in my head. It was around midnight, actually, um, that night. So I decided to get up and start writing. Mm-hmm. And so as I was, I wrote down all the King's men. And I had that sheet of paper still at my house. Um, it's very, it's, it's a special uh, mo- uh, thing, a uh, uh, piece of memory that I have. Yeah. Um, because I wrote it, I wrote down the name, all the King's men. And I ended up just writing what came to me. And what it ended up being was I was going to do yeah. a program for boys. And we had, I wrote all the different programs we would do and all that. And then that, that following week, I was down at the Secretary of State starting a nonprofit. Never done anything like that before in my life. Yeah. But um, I, I'm going to say it definitely came from, uh, it was inspired by God. Yeah, um, for me to do that work and I did that for 11 years man I've mentored hundreds of boys in Nashville we did it in schools exactly. we had partnerships with community centers mm-hmm. we even partnered up with uh, youth football teams to provide each team with uh, what we call the team mentor mm-hmm. and so man I was just 
that was my life, man. I, I gave up everything that I was doing. I sacrificed a lot. Yeah. I wanted to quit a lot. I wanted to quit a lot because uh, I wasn't really making a lot of money in those first years. I never really made a lot of money doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't ask God to give me a lot of money. I asked for purpose. And the, the point in that is that sometimes your purpose may not always be the profitable thing. You know what I'm saying? And so that's a lesson that I learned. But the thing that I did get from that was while I was doing all that mentoring, I trained mentors. I mean, we even had an organization, we had a chapter in another state. And so we had people coming from other. I remember one day a lady came from uh, Ontario, Canada, because she had heard about our organization. She wanted to see how we were doing things. So we had this global impact. But the, all throughout all that, you know, what God really showed me was as I was working with those families, we the mentoring, the mentorship was key. It was critical. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was a psychological and an emotional part that we couldn't touch. Mm-hmm. And so through that experience, I, I it was placed upon me again to become a counselor. Mm-hmm. And so um, I went back to graduate school again, sacrificed and got a degree in professional counseling. And it wasn't because I didn't, it, it was really more just purpose. Like I, I would have never thought I would be a counselor. Honestly, I never thought I would do the, the mentoring. But just following that purpose that God gave me, Yes. Again, exposed me to these psychological issues and these emotional issues that we couldn't touch. And then it was on my heart to go to school and become a counselor. And so that's how I even became a counselor. So today, like I said, I've been practicing for five years. Mm-hmm. I've worked at Tennessee State University where I was assistant director of counseling there for a few years. Mm-hmm. I've worked in another private practice when I first got started. And now I'm in my actually I've always had my own practice because I'm an entrepreneur. So I started my business as soon as I graduated, but I had to do other things along the way to get hours and, you know, for licensure and all of that. Yes. But I'm, I'm in my fifth year of practice. I'm a full-time at my counseling practice. Uh, I'm, it's, you said I wrote a book. I did write a book on my experiences as a mentor. I'm currently writing another book on resilience. Um, and I do a lot, man. I'm a speaker. I've spoken to organizations across the country mm-hmm. on various topics as a, uh, various mental health related topics. And, you know, I'm just in my lane, guys. You know what I'm saying? I know what I'm blessed to do. Yeah. I know what I'm good at doing, and I stay in that lane. And so um, that's just where I am. And, and if you if people are trying to connect with me, I'm on Instagram, Eric D. K. Park. You can put my, I don't know, maybe you put my name in the, um, somewhere where people can get my name together. Yes, and you can find me at, at Eric D. K. Park on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn, Eric K. Park, same thing. And Facebook, everything's the same. It's Eric K. Park. Mm-hmm. So check out, you know, hang out with me there. You can find out about what I got going on currently and we can kind of, you know, connect that way. So yeah, that's kind of like what that's just like, a you know, a brief synopsis of, you know, how I'm my professional life, you know. Um, and, you know, there's obviously a, a, a more detailed story. I'm 40 years old. I've been through a lot of different things. I've experienced my own traumas. Yes. Uh, I've made lots of mistakes in my younger life. And really those mistakes that I made were the... Uh, the tools that not necessarily the tools but the experiences that i used when i was a mentor because a lot of the guys that i mentor and we i say i it wasn't just me we had a whole team of people i was just the founder mm-hmm. um we i mean we they were doing the same things that i was doing as a kid but i learned lessons you know the hard way and so we tried to you know what i'm saying mitigate or come in between and make the learning curve less for those guys so that they could stay out of trouble our whole thing was to keep them out of juvenile and help them graduate from high school yeah. and now these men are grown men they have families they've never been in jail mm-hmm. they've never been in contact with juvenile court and they are so grateful their mamas are grateful they're the ones that had dads or whoever was involved with our organization at the time it was just they were just they're just so grateful and that was the payment for that you know the gratitude um, and I used all those experiences in my nonprofit and I, I use them still um, as a counselor because I counsel mostly black men and boys. And so that's kind of a little bit about me. And, uh, you know, that's that's me, guys. Amen. With all of that being said, man, wow. I, I, we're going to get into the contact on this next next 30 seconds or whatever. But for this 30 seconds, I want to say, man, congratulations on all of that. Thank you, man. Because it, it goes unnoticed, man. I would have never known about you if I hadn't been talking to one of my partners at work. So your work has gotten, yeah. but even before you started all that, it's about the relationships and the connections you make in life. Cause the connection that I met you through was from a guy that I know at work. And that was back when you was yeah. talking about you was doing your fasting thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, just, it's just great how God connects all that together. Cause 
if we can't talk about it too long, but that's how me and his story got uh, started. Our story got started with this podcast. It was just like a thought, man. It was like God gave us a revelation and we just ran with it. And here we are this morning. You know what I'm saying? Yes, that's how, that's Lord, how it goes, man. That's just how the Lord does things. So with, that, with all that being said, we thank you for that. Let me hit you with this first question, man. So yeah. out of your experiences of the mentorship, and now your experience as, as being a counselor, because I saw you paid Eric the counselor. So as a counselor yeah. professional, man, and, and through your experiences in the mentorship, what are some of the abuses that you notice in black men that they don't want to talk about or goes on un, top yeah. Man, we, 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 and I'm saying we, I mean us, yes, maybe a, a lot of your listeners, we go through so much um, psychological, trauma and psychological um, uh, abuse mm-hmm. uh, it's particularly and I, I want to talk about emotional abuse mm-hmm. uh, we you know we're, we're called stupid we're called dumb we're our parents and sometimes our, our parents are the ones that say this to us family members the people that's closest to us we deal with uh, violence uh, we, we normalize violence it becomes just a normal part of life which that's not normal um, that creates that that creates issues down the line. Um, we we physical abuse, you know what I'm saying? Uh, emotional abuse, psychological abuse, any type of abuse you can think of. Um, men are dealing with it, and and like I said, I, I kind of want to focus in on the emotional abuse um, that we that we deal with, and really just kind of setting the tone by giving an example or definition of what of what abuse really is. And for me, I'll say that abuse is anything that kind of dehumanizes you, whether it's verbal, physical, um, emotional, and it's, it, it dehumanizes you, it, it devalues you, yeah. um, especially as men. It, it makes you lose your sense of uh, identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if any of these things that you have uh, experienced in your life lead to you feeling like, hey, man, I'm, I'm like lost in the world, or I don't know who I am as a person, or I'm afraid to express how I feel, um, it's probably because you have experienced some type of uh, abuse in your upbringing. Wow. Right. Mm, right. Mr. Eric, man, wanted to touch base with you uh, on the domestic violence issues, man, going on in uh, today's society, man. Um, brought us some statistics, man from this uh, credit, accredited website called, let me make sure I find it again real quick so I don't get sued, uh, blackburncenter.org. And uh, they gave us these statistics. Uh, the statistics on domestic violence in the United States, uh, as we know, are disturbing. One in three women and one in 10 men will experience domestic violence in their lifetime. More than 40% of black women will experience domestic violence in their lifetime. And my question was to you, Mr. Eric, man, when you talk about uh, trauma, when you talk about black men, when you talk about abuse, when you talk about black women, putting all those together, man, in a pot, stirring it up, man, what is it in the in the culture and in the makeup of the black male when you're talking about trauma that allows black men to make it easier, for lack of words, to to, to carry out abusive ways and abusive notions to, 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 to their other counterparts? Yeah, um, so I don't know. I don't necessarily know if it's, it's easier to do it, um, but I will say that you know, if you if you grew up in an environment where you saw certain things perpetuated, I guess it would be easier to repeat it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So um, if you grew up in a home where you, you know you had a parent who was verbally abusive. Mm-hmm. Well, then you're more than likely going to be a verbally abusive parent if you don't do the things uh, necessary to change that. Yeah. Uh, again, if you you know if you grew up in a home where a parent was uh, abusing uh, a substance, mm-hmm. then uh, you're going to be likely to abuse that substance. And so that's the thing. It's like it's um, we call it, it, it well in our community we may call it like generational curses. Yeah. Um, in the clinical world, we'll say that it's pathological behavior that's passed on through genetics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the way we, we look at it in in the field is that let's say if you had a parent, let's let's stick with substance abuse. Mm-hmm. If you had a parent who and a grandparent who were abusing substances, um, it's in your genetic makeup to have the potential to mm-hmm. abuse a substance. That doesn't mean you will, right. but if you, you got the you have the genetic makeup. 
And then if you have, if you grew up in an environment where it was actually prevalent and you saw it as well, then you also have the environment. And so we look at, we call it nature versus uh, nurture. So nature is in your DNA uh, uh, and uh, the nurture is in the actual environment. Mm-hmm. And so if those two combine, then you're likely to have the same problem. And I think that's what happens um, in our communities is that it's just in our genetic makeup. We see it growing up. And so we end up perpetuating that behavior and we normalize it. We yeah. make it seem like, oh, it's just normal. It's just the way it is in my family. Mm, yeah. It's not. I mean, it's it's, it's not normal, and uh, yeah. it, that's what's that's what's continuing those cycles. Mm-hmm. Domestic violence is violence committed against a person that's in the house with you. You right. know what I'm saying? That's somebody right, right there right. with you that you trust. Right. And uh, if you are abusing a substance, then that could be if you drunk all the time and you get into a simple argument. Well, that 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 turns into a physical fight. Right. Yes. Now we calling the police, and now the police are in the business of the household. Now somebody's going to jail. Yeah. Which that just continues to make the the situation worse all around. Yeah. But to me, and not even just to me, but just throughout you know history, and just when you look at the data, like what you just read, it's all rooted in some type of abuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Rooted in abuse. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting, man, because uh, like you said, it, it that that those those genetics that you talk about, man, a lot mm-hmm. of people don't really, really understand mm-hmm. how important genetics is, man. Like, mm-hmm. you, you looking at me and my dad, man, I'm sure you could say we were almost uh, twin brothers. If, if, if yeah, I'm just like one. Yeah, you know what I mean? So it's, it's interesting, <laughs> right, man. Yeah, uh, right. Genetics, man, can really, really, man, just, just change the narrative of certain things, man. And I wanted to uh, switch the gears, man, and kind of talk about your your practice, man, and what you do uh, mm-hmm. within um, your job, man. And what I wanted to ask you, is what do you do when you have that black male in your own practice that has went through so many abusive situations, not knowing who to trust, um, what to do, who to talk to, if you will. Talking about abuse, what ways are you able to essentially get them to open up knowing that they may not even trust you, knowing that they yeah. may not have trusted those in the past and just trying to get them to, to, to really, really just break out of that shell? How do you how do you kind of operate in that? Yeah, area? man. Yeah, that's like the job. The first job of a counselor is to build that alliance with 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 the client. Mm-hmm. For me, uh, and I go to counseling. Right? I have a black male that's my counselor, mm-hmm. and so I think that is like one of the first lines of not necessarily lines of defense, but I think that's one of the first barriers that's um, taken down when you can go into a room and see somebody that looks like you. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like when yeah. you in counseling, you're gonna fill yeah. out the person that you're sitting across from. You just kind of sizing yeah. them up, yeah. and what you know, if he's t- keeping it real, you can tell when somebody's being fake. Right. Yeah. Um, so one thing I do is I just keep it. I'm just me. Like I present myself as such. Like I tell them right off the bat, I don't judge. There's no point in me judging you because it's not gonna help you. It's not gonna help me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna go home and live my life mm-hmm. the way I want to live my life. And yeah. you know, so I try to make it like uh, I try to disarm. You know my clients right. so that they can just feel like all right this is a real dude number one yeah right. right. you know i show a uh, positive regard no matter what they say you know no matter what a person comes in here and tells me or how they feel or whatever i'm just trying to show some type of positive regard mm-hmm. um i show them that um i'm like them also i <laughs> tell them you know sometimes men will come in not sometimes all the time they come in and they'll tell me about what's going on and if there's any type of uh personal story that I have that I can use that can let them know like hey I know what you're talking about yeah. because I've been through it too so yeah. it's showing them that like again like alright cool like this dude understands it's not like going to talk to somebody that has total like total oblivion to what you've been through in your life yeah. and it makes it hard to connect so I just let them know that I'm a real person yeah. I show them positive self uh, positive regard I empathize with them like hey man if I would have went through that I would probably feel the same way that you feel. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Uh, mm-hmm. I don't tell people what to do or any of that. I just try to make it a place where they feel comfortable. And I also tell them that uh, I ask this question a lot in counseling because mm-hmm. you know we think that when you talk to another man about your problems, mm-hmm. it's weak, right? Well, I, mean, I ain't talking to no man about my problems. That is. So, that you is. know, when they're in here talking to me, and I'll just flat out ask them. I'll say, "Do you feel weak right now?" Mm-hmm. And they're like, "No, nah, I don't feel weak at all." Mm-hmm. And this, this, just to bring them to the awareness that, like, just because you're talking to a man about your problems, mm-hmm. that don't make you weak. I tell them, if somebody busts in this office right now, I know what I'm going to do. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to get right. down. Like, <laughs> I'm sure you are, too. Like, yeah. yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah. let's talk and 
Yeah. Ain't making you a weak person. And so yeah. I just try to, you know, uh, use that. I call it the relatability factor, guys. You know what I'm saying? I can relate to my clients. Yeah. You know, um, and to me, that's how I can help clients be more vulnerable. And I tell them another thing is that vulnerability um, is an accurate measure of courage. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So if you can be vulnerable with yourself and then yeah. with another person, you're showing that you have the courage to to address or face the things that you may not want to face right. because you might cry or whatever. Man, men cry in the office. I was crying in my counselor's office uh, this on Monday yeah. because I had some loss and it hurts, man. And so when you can show that vulnerability, you know, it's a sign of courage. And so I do everything that I can to, you know, bring down those barriers to help a man feel that, this is somebody that I can talk to because I can relate to him and he's not judging me. Yeah, man, definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah, and that's one thing we, we uh, reason why we started this podcast, man, we you talk about the vulnerability. Yes. You talk about uh, transparency, that type of deal, man. Mm -hmm. Black men don't do that. Like you said, we, nah, we a couple yeah. of our first episodes, we talked on uh, depression, depression and grief. Yeah. And uh, how we yeah. talked about, you know, guys will come into certain settings certain situations man closed in closed off i don't want to feel weak i don't want to feel like I'm, I'm i'm letting my business out i don't want to mm -hmm. cry i don't these mm -hmm. are we talk about the generational curses or the uh what did you say the pathological uh yeah it's just pathological behaviors behaviors that we normalize that we think are, are okay when they're not mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. those type of things uh mr eric man pretty much is what keeps you at a job today to be honest man just Absolutely. To, you yeah. know kind of attest and kind of be able to relate like you said being relatable to these uh young black men and um man pops this this yeah that's yeah. the way to do it hey, man i'm, I'm listening to all this man because again it's a lot of positivity and see i like to look at it man and i just you know really start getting off into this which i'm a black male but i started getting off into the historical context of what we deal with it even going back even to the constitution man well our other community don't like to hear it but they considered us we weren't even human man when they wrote the constitution so with all that being said from a historical context like you just said it goes way back into those days that that some of that stuff is still in our dna man and we still living that stuff out but the way to get out of that is you just have to open up man so let me ask you this what would you say to a person that does not want to come to your counseling session or feel like they don't want to open up in that space but they're listening to this podcast or maybe when we get ready to do an audio they'll be looking at this podcast and they'll say man i don't want to go to counseling i don't want to do that but i'm listening to what they saying and give them something that they can grasp on to man if they don't want to do you know coming from your perspective you know come your avenue yeah. they just want to say but i'm gonna deal with this thing man but i've heard what they saying and i'm gonna try that man you know uh, I mean, I, I, I'm going to say this. Everybody can benefit from the counseling, but everybody's not going to go to counseling. Right. And sometimes counseling can't really address all problems, right? Because it has to be a, a holistic approach. Mm -hmm. um, so for the person that might be listening to this or they, they might see this and decide, you know what? I hear what he's saying, but I'm not trying to go to counseling. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a number of things that I would want to encourage you to do. One, I would try to, I would encourage you to find somebody in your life that you can trust that you can open up to and talk to yes sir. You know, and like a friend a family member or maybe somebody outside of your friends and family circle but just somebody that you can trust enough to where when you want to tell them you know what man i'm, I'm, I'm hurt you know mm -hmm. what i'm saying i'm sad about something or mm -hmm. or even if you're excited or happy about something mm -hmm. you got to have an outlet you got to have some yeah. type of support system yeah. right? another human being yeah. that can be there for you when you need help other things you can do man like our mood is uh affected by also like the things that we do the things that we put into our bodies whether it's substances whether it's the foods that we eat mm -hmm. like those things make a difference so try to make sure that you are eating foods that are actually good for you drinking water you know what i'm saying getting enough rest at night you know what i'm saying we we got this mentality that we got to work our lives away you know, man, you working and not sleeping is what's taking your life away from Come you. Come on now. And so try to rest, you know, try to do those things. Like spend time outside in nature. Go fishing, go for a hike, you know, pick up a hobby. Do things that make you happy. Do things that will create, uh, it's, an, it's called an endorphin, which is a feel-good chemical in your brain. And mm -hmm. so like when you're doing things that are pleasurable to you, it makes you feel good, mm -hmm. right? Um, like sex. I mean, sex is good, but sex can also, a lot of times, 
uh, when we see men are out here, you know, being promiscuous and having all this sex and, mm-hmm. and drinking and all that, that's really signs of depression. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say every time, but it can be like mm-hmm. you are trying to replace, you know, how you feel or hide it. I'll put it this way. I just saw uh, um, uh, Moneybag, yo, he's a rapper. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was just talking about how he stopped drinking lean, which is uh, formaldehyde, basically. Right. Whatever they mix it with. Wow. And he realized that he was doing that, like drinking lean and smoking weed and having all this sex because he was masking how he feels. Mm-hmm. He was running away from his other problems. And so if you are a man that you find yourself like doing those things, and I'm not saying everybody that's doing that is hiding or running from something. Right. But you might want to stop and think about like, dang, man, is this really getting me anywhere? Is having sex with all these women like doing anything really for me? Is drinking, smoking my life away? Is that really what I want to do with my life? And so again, if you're that person that, you know, like I'm not going to counsel no matter what, mm-hmm. just look at your life and look at the actions that you take, look at the people that you surround yourself with and ask yourself, is this the life that I really want to have? Is this really fulfilling me in any way? And if it's not, do some of those other things, like I said, man, do things that you can find happiness in and, and, and find somebody that you can put in your support system. Man, yeah. man, and look, and what, and, and that question uh, came from, I was looking at your website and you said a thing about uh, stop ignoring your shadow. And I'm like, man, that's big right there, man, because everybody has a shadow, but sometimes you can't get away from the shadow until you die. So in order to you for yeah. you to uh, not ignore the shadow, then you said, uh, learn how to deal with the shadow, treat the shadow. So in other words, I got some stuff in my past. I got some dark places in my past, but I deal with that, man. I deal with that. And I don't allow that to keep me off. Uh, we talked about this in our last podcast, our last show. I don't allow that to stop me from being a river and turn me into a pond. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. We run it. We think we dealt with it because we don't think about it no more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, or you know, we thought about it for a minute or two, and then we just said, "All right, I'm, I'm, I'm not thinking about it." That's not really dealing with it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You got to really like identify the feeling that you had. Like for me, the in, in that post I was talking about doing, it's called shadow work. Mm-hmm. And that's the part of our personality that's like unpleasant. Like the, the, if people knew this about me, you know, they would probably disapprove of it. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when you can when you can identify those feelings and say, yeah, this is a part of my personality. And just 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 being aware of it, man, it's, it's doing more, more than just ignoring it. It's like mm-hmm. you got to come to terms with who you are, what you've done and say that's the life that I had or this is a part of my personality and 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 move forward from that. Use yeah. that knowledge that you have to begin to make the changes that you might want to make in your life. The shadow is always there. Yeah. Now, whether you are aware of it or not, that's another question. Yeah. Man, that's big. That's big. Nashville, we want to thank you guys again for joining us this Monday morning. This is the Body Mass Index of Abuse. And a black man with our special guest, Mr. Eric Capehart. Right after this segment break, we'll get into more of the content. We'll try to dive in with Mr. Eric on more of his personal experiences that he may have had with abuse. He's like to share that. And we'll just dig into that content and continue to give you guys a black man venting on this Monday morning. Nashville, again, we want to thank you guys for joining us after this segment break. We'll get you right back into the content. Nashville, have you heard a black man vent today? Just like that, Nashville, just like that, we're back. We're back. Good morning to you guys again. If you're just not joining us, uh, Nashville, have you heard of Black Man Vent today? The Black Man Vent Who podcast, Body Mass Index of Abuse, Nashville. We're in our abuse season. Abuse in a Black Man with our special guest, Mr. Eric Capehart. And we want to thank him again for his time and his testimony on this Monday morning. And um, mm-hmm. diving right back in, man, Mr. Eric, I kind of wanted to, uh, as we uh, promised, man, get more into you venting, if you will, man, and just kind of understanding your story. And um, a little bit off the air, uh, Nashville, uh, Mr. Eric shared with us that he had his own, um, his first counselor, if you will, wasn't a counselor that necessarily related to him, related mm-hmm. to his story, related to his life. And um, man, Mr. Eric, I just wanted to ask you if you can touch with Nashville, touch with us on um, you venting. So that that process of you finding that counselor and, 
and just those things that it took for you to find that counselor you seen that wasn't the one maybe you was like nah this ain't for me let me let me just try to uh, uh tough it out on my own or, or maybe you tried to venture off into finding someone else what was that process like for you trying to find a counselor is hard even today you know uh for me i you know i always knew I wanted to try somebody. Let me go back. I've had a white male counselor. I've had a white woman. I had a black woman for, for a few years, actually. Now, um, the first counselor I had, like you mentioned, was a black male. And uh, I knew I was uh, intentional about trying to talk with someone who could relate to me. Right. Um, and so when I found that black male, I was like, okay, cool. This is going to work for me because it's another black man. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, unfortunately, it, was, it just wasn't a good fit. Right. Uh, and, and I really want to emphasize this point that it's not it's not the, the race and the gender that makes a counselor uh, a good fit for you. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's to me, it's that relatability factor that I talked about earlier. It's like, mm-hmm. how can this person relate to me? Uh, because, for an example, if I'm dealing, I remember I was uh, dealing with like some issues of like being a black male and all this racism and you know mm-hmm. being a black male in this in this country, and I had a white lady as my counselor. Mm-hmm. So I will be talking to her. I'm trying not to say certain things because I don't want to offend the lady. Like I don't want her to be offended by what I say. Right. And then, like I tell some of the things that I was saying, she was just looking. She just had that look in her eyes, like, yeah, like yeah. I don't know. Like, she didn't know. I don't know what to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. She finally admitted. She did admit to me that you know I just don't know what to say. I don't know how to um, relate to those issues and she you know and that was a sign of her being a professional because if you're in counseling you gotta let people know look I'm sorry I just don't have that that experience and maybe I'm not the person to help you with that particular issue so I did appreciate that right. from her um, and so that's you know finding a counselor is hard mm-hmm. um, and, and, and what makes it hard is because there's not a lot of counselors out here for one yeah. um, look like us whether they're right. a black woman that you're looking for black people we only make up one percent of the counseling industry wow one percent wow and so one percent right and so if you look if you if your desire is to find someone that looks like you then you're going to have a challenge because as soon as you find that person What's happening right now uh, in in modern times is that a lot of counselors are overbooked or completely booked up, mm-hmm. like overworked, and and they they're not accepting new clients. So you might find a client a counselor, and I'll give out some resources of how you can find counselors, and I'll give out my information. Yes, what's happening is uh, people that are looking. You know, right right now we're in a society where we're doing things like this show. Mm-hmm. We're talking about mental health. You see celebrities and all kind of people talking about go find a counselor, talk to somebody, talk to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. But when you reach out, there's nobody to talk to. Right. Mm-hmm. right. That's, that's like a real problem that we're having. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got to navigate that thing. That's another thing. Access to healthcare. Like if you don't have health, if you don't have insurance, mm-hmm. um, you got to pay out of pocket. And I want to mm-hmm. say this about people who have insurance because a lot of times people don't know that they have what's called um, an EAP or employee assistance program. Yes. So you have a job yes. you know, and they're providing benefits for you, more than likely you have an EAP. And in that EAP, you can call this number and they will, you can you can just call the number on the back of your health insurance, or not health insurance, yeah, health insurance card and ask them about your uh, mental health benefits. Mm-hmm. So you, hey, you can have this many sessions and no right. no cost to you. You might That's not have to right. pay anything. That's you right. I had to pay like a five, six dollar deductible, something very low to mm-hmm. go see a counselor. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's if you have a job and you have health insurance, even if you don't have uh, a health insurance through a job, like I have my own insurance through the marketplace, mm-hmm. even that comes with benefits for a counselor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage anybody who has health insurance, period. Yeah. to contact the healthcare provider and ask them about their, their mental health benefits because you already done paid for the counseling. Right. You know, by paying just by having insurance. So that's one thing. Also, you know, you don't have to have insurance to get counseling. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go to a counselor, um, like my practice, I don't accept insurance. It's just easier for me in my practice, mm-hmm. um, to not deal with all of that. And my practice is kind of specialized. I don't accept insurance, but you can pay out of pocket. If you can't afford the rate that is uh, that the counselor is asking for, ask them do they have what's known as a sliding scale or a reduced rate. And most counselors, including me, will say yeah because we don't want people 
to not get the help that they need because of the financial difficulties. Right. If you are a person with no job, no money, or nothing at all, you can still get benefits. You can still get counseling because there's places um, like the mental health co-op here in Nashville. Mm -hmm. uh, they provide free counseling services, family and children services. If you are in a family, you, you know, you can go there and get uh, free counseling services as well. Centerstone, there's so many different resources for you to get the help that you need. You just gotta know about it. And some, right. a lot of times people don't know about these things that I just mentioned. You right. can pocket, you can use your your uh, your uh, benefits that you have to your healthcare, mm -hmm. or there may be some free services for you out there as well. So I wanna uh, leave this out there. You can go to a place called uh, online, it's called psychologytoday.com. Mm -hmm. It's like, I just call it like a, a, a Facebook for counselors and other mental health professionals. Mm -hmm. Go to psychologytoday.com, type in your zip code or the city that you're in, and you're gonna have a whole list of counselors. Mm -hmm. You can even put black male counselors in there. You can just do a Google search for black male counselors or black woman counselor in your area. Right. And you're gonna find the number of counselors that are available to help you. So Psychology Today is a, a great resource. I'm on there. Uh, most, most professional counselors are gonna be on that website. And there's other websites out there that exist, but I wanna pro I don't want to promote it, but I do want to say Psychology Today because it's a widely used uh, resource that's out there. Right, right, right. Man, man that's big, man. Mm -hmm. Hey, hey, Mr. Mm -hmm. K-Part, so I was just yes, thinking, thinking when you said about there's only 1% of uh, African-American or, or just uh, African-American uh, counselors out there. So yeah. in your practice, when you're promoting or trying to help somebody through a counseling session, would you say that accountability is is big, like having an accountability group or having some guys that will hold you accountable? Because again, maybe somebody listening or maybe somebody watching cannot get to a black counselor, but they still need a group, a, a reference, or like somebody that can help them. So how important is it to have an accountability uh, group or accountability people in your life that will hold you to a certain standard and not saying they're holding you to something that, that you cannot attain because they know you and they know that you can attain it. How important is that? And it's critical. It's highly important. In fact, uh, when someone comes to me for the first time, one of the things that I'm asking them about is their, that support group that I talked about. Right. Who are the people in your life that hold you accountable? Yes. Um, and, and if say you're a person who hasn't quite developed that yet, the way you can do that now, right now, is just think about the people in your life and that are closest to you that you trust. And you can kind of assign them like a role in your life. Like this person is going to be the person that holds me accountable. Mm -hmm. And name them, put their name down, write their phone number down. And you know, if you need somebody to hold you accountable, call them and say, hey, I want to know if you can be my accountability partner. Mm -hmm. you know? write down the name of the person who's going to be your support like emotional support like if you're sad and you need somebody just need somebody to talk to a listening ear write their name down mm -hmm. hit them up and say hey I'm, I'm putting together my own little uh, circle of support and I want you to be the person to, yeah. to be my uh, emotional support or however you want to word it and just ask them about it have a conversation about it so that when they when you call them they can know what to expect from you yeah. Right versus yeah. you trying to dump yourself on people who just not trying to hear it. I mean, yeah. and and then that'll leave you feeling like, well, dang, nobody wants to hear. No one wants to hear my problems. Well, that's not necessarily true. Everybody doesn't want to hear your problems. <laughs> if you can identify people that do and that can be there for you and not judgmental and just allow you the space to just share what you need to say yeah. without judging it or not even telling you what to do because what happens is we try to tell people what they need to do yeah no man just i just need to tell you i'm not looking for answers Response. and if you are looking for answers or a mentorship or advice maybe you have another person like if i have an issue i'm gonna call this person for uh, uh or maybe this person could be my mentor right and so that is critical to have a support system i'm a, i'm always going to be if you if you're my client I'm going to be in your accountability. I'm going to be a person that holds you accountable because if you're telling me you're trying to reduce your uh, alcohol intake, but when, when, when you come in here and you talk to me about it, mm -hmm. you you haven't slowed down at all or you, you no know changes, I'm going to say, hey, man, how is this helping you get to what you're trying to do? You right. know, you're going out right. every weekend or every day and you're drinking. How is this helping you get to what you told me you wanted to do? So yeah. I'm not trying to shame you or nothing, but it's, that's what accountability is. And so... You also, the flip side of that question is, 
Like, if you want somebody to be your accountability partner, then you have to be open to accept when they confront you, yeah, so you know, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a not a non-confrontational way, but like, hey, man, this is what you said you want yeah. I see you doing this. Yeah. What's up? You have to be willing to accept that. So it's 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 highly important that you have somebody in your life that will be um, able to hold you accountable. Yeah, yeah. And it's that it's that uh constructive criticism. I think that's the best word that I can use, man. A lot of people don't accept that well, man. It ain't it, it, it don't feel good to know that 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 you didn't do what you said you was gonna do, but you yeah, said you yeah. was gonna do it. So you know yeah. it's it's a matter of that, man. And um I wanted to ask you, man, Mr. Eric who were the accountability people in your life as you were growing up um, adolescent years through your teenage years high school college before you found your purpose in being a counselor man who were the black males black females just anybody those leaders those mentors in your life man helping you to get to where you are today yeah to be honest man I really didn't have a whole lot of that you know I was uh, my mom's only son of five kids and I was second oldest and so I'm out here my mom basically taught me right from wrong. That's, and I would say my mom was a part of that for me. Yeah. If anything, it was my mother. Yeah. But it wasn't really so much about accountability. It was just more so about, hey, I'm your mama. You yeah. know what I'm saying? She wasn't the yeah. one that said, you're going to do this. Then, you know, you said you're going to do this and I see you doing that. It wasn't, that wasn't the, the type of relationship we had. I didn't have mentors or nothing, which is why it was so amazing that God wanted me to be that to so many people. Yeah. You know, I, my yeah. father wasn't in my life. Um, none of that you know my uncles were good men but they were in the streets hustling you know they you know shit they were in locked up you know right um, so i didn't really have a lot of that you know what i'm saying until um until really after college mm. i got a friend my best friend today his name is ron johnson he's uh he's my mama's age but he's my best friend and he's the person that's like my accountability partner we, yeah he started calling me his best friend. I'm like, I'm your best friend. You got dude. You my mama's age. Like, I'm, I'm your best friend. Yeah, like, yeah. You are. You know what I'm saying? He's yeah. like, yeah, man. You, you of all the people that I consider friends, um, you are the best friend that I have in this world. And uh, so we became accountability partners in that way. And, and it's been, I mean, to this day, that's my guy, man. That's the person that um, yeah. he means so much to me. And I think. Uh, we all need a person like that in our lives. Oh yeah. man, oh yeah. man. I'm just listening right. at that because mm-hmm. I can relate to that to a certain degree because when uh, I was living, you know, we all had that wild side. So I was in my little wild side, man. And then when I decided to try to step away from that, when I stepped away from that, all of my friends became older than me. So right now, all mm-hmm. the guys that hold me accountable are like, I'm in my fifties, but they like 70, like almost. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But, That's right. But they've been there. Yeah, but they are the dudes, man. That when they see me steering the wrong way, they're like, "Hey, man, that ain't that ain't you." You know what I'm saying? And like you said, yeah. some my age is almost like to the point where it's hard to find sometimes somebody that's your age that's gonna hold you to a certain standard, man. And that's, that's yeah. kind of weird how that happened, but sometimes that's just the way it is, man. That's just the way it is. So with that being said, Mr. Eric, we were thinking about talking about. Uh, some solutions, man. And I was looking at a thing that you had on your page, man. And and, and it, he was talking about if you want to basically change who you are and change your certain your certain status in life where you are, you want to be better. I was looking at some things, man. You can just elaborate elaborate on it how you want to. But one of the things you had you had you put down you had five habits, man, that will help people do better. And one of the things you said, man, that you said develop routine. And I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure you're talking about developing some positive routines or developing yeah. other routines yeah. other than what you are already doing. So speak on that a little bit, man. Man, routines are, you know, it takes out the guesswork for you. You know, I mean, I'm even talking about going to bed and waking up at the same time every day. That's going to produce your productivity. That's going to produce your level of uh, thinking ability because your body is on a clock. Mm-hmm. Um, doing things at the same time. You know that that's like critical like if you're going to um exercise make sure you're exercising as a part of your routine like don't do it sporadically like some some people like yeah i work out i'm like all right when's the last time you worked out man i don't know man it's been like three months or whatever <laughs> yeah. i'm like well that you know get on a routine go twice a week you right. know what i'm saying simple things that i encourage people to do get on a routine to do uh go walking for 30 minutes a day three days a week that's a routine Try to establish some type of routine so you can have some type of 
uh, pattern or consistency in your life and that routine, you know, you can, uh, other things will spawn off from you having that discipline is what it is. You know what I'm saying? That's just like establishing that routine is also helping you establish discipline as well. So it's not just about going to bed at, uh, for me, I go to bed by 11 o'clock at night and wake up at six in the morning or, or, or earlier. Like I do that. So my body is like, it's a clock now. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sleepy every night at 11. I'm trying to go to sleep six o'clock no matter if i slept three hours a night i'm getting up at six you know because my body is used to it working out you guys may have seen that i mean i do all types of i've always been an athletic person i'm doing that consistently i have a routine that i stick to um, in order to help me establish that discipline and so once you become disciplined in life you can say you can do anything i mean i didn't get to this place in my life today by just living willy-nilly just you know fly by night i had to be consistent I had to establish routines. Like I have college degrees, like that. It didn't just come to me. Like that's that's hard. That's hard work. You know, you have to be persistent, consistent, and disciplined. And so that's 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 what I mean when I say establish some type of routine, mm-hmm. um, positive routines. Because once you do that, other positive things will come from that. Yeah, yeah, and that, and, and I'm listening. So that's part of the re- part of one of the ways that can help you get away from those abusive routines. So you change that negative yeah. into a positive. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, man. And you have to be serious. You have to be dedicated to it. And before you do anything, uh, you have to think of the reason that you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Why am I going to get on this routine? Mm-hmm. And and really have a real reason and write it down so that when you get weary and you start falling off because you're not going to be perfect when you first start. Let's just let's be right. keep it hundred. You're not going to be a, a 100% to it. But if you keep reminding yourself of why it's important for you to be on that routine, mm-hmm. then that'll give you the motivation to keep doing it. If you really care about that reason that you wrote. Some people, like for me, I wanted to go become a counselor for one because it was part of what I felt my calling was, but it was to provide for the family that I had. Mm-hmm. I want to have a career. In a, I'm an entrepreneur. I want to start a business that I can do for to create income for my family. So and if I ever thought about quitting, which I did, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I thought, well, hey, I can't quit because I got a family that's yeah. depending on me. Yeah. So that's the motivation I had to keep going. So before you start any type of routine, develop that why and, and remind yourself of that why along the way if you find yourself getting tired. Oh, man, that, that that's so big, man. That's so big. That's so big. I was just thinking about when you said um, uh, develop that routine and, 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 and holding yourself accountable because you got a family. I remember, man, when I first started the job I'm on right now, I used to be in the field, man. And when I would want to quit, I used to have a picture in my pocket, man, of my family. Mm-hmm. And I would look at that picture and they'd be like, all right, no, you can't quit because you got somebody else depending on you. So when we're dealing with this thing called abuse, we have to understand, man, that other people need us to be better because if we are in this abusive situation, whichever case it may be, we have to understand that other people are affected by what we're going through. Absolutely. And not only are they affected by it, but they are, again, more likely to repeat it mm-hmm. in their own lives. Mm-hmm. I was in a Facebook group today, and it's a, it's, a, it's a group for black fathers, and there was a question posed like, why is some of us mad at our uh, child's mother? No, why are we treating our child's mother the same way our dad treated our mother? And we you know, are upset with our dad about that, but we're doing the same thing. It's because, it's like I said, it's that nature and nurture. It's, it's, it's in you already. If you saw it, you're more likely to perpetuate it if you are not aware of like, hey, I'm making the same mistakes. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do nothing about it, you're just going to be another man that's out here, you know, making the same mistakes that your your, your forefathers made. Yeah. And I'm not trying to say this only for black men. I'm just speaking, you know, generally right here when I say these things. It's not only just men, it's women and whoever else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Man, and so with that being said, again, still on this abuse thing. So then I was looking at another piece of your five habits. You said eliminate distractions. When you eliminate those distractions, man, how can that help get us out of the abuses that we're dealing with? You know, distractions take off your focus. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So if I'm uh, trying to drive and I got all these kids, everything going on, I'm looking here and there, I'm more likely to have an accident, Mm -hmm. right? But if you can minimize the distractions, you can stay laser focused on what it is you're trying to do. That's how you can become more disciplined. That's how you can stick to a routine. I remember when I was in grad school, man, my homies would be like, hey, man, let's go do this. Let's go do that. And I will always have to tell them, 
I can't come, man, because I'm focused on these papers I gotta write. I'm focused on all these books I have to read for this class I gotta uh, take in the in the next few weeks. And they, at first, they didn't understand it, but now they like it actually encouraged them to go back to school. You know what I'm saying? So seeing me, you know, be laser focused and, and minimize the distractions has encouraged the, my friends, like my homies, like my brothers to some, like brothers from another mother to yeah. want more in their life. And they've seen someone that can do it. Like if he can do it, yeah. hell, I can do it too. And so, right. you know, when you eliminate those distractions, I think it really helps you stay focused on what it is you're trying to do. So true. So true. And it can inspire other people around you also. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, another one, man. And I, I ain't going to try to hit all five. And I know my son probably got a question also. But let me hit this last one. So this one thing that I think we have a problem in doing. And again, talking about abuse. When I finally start making strides toward getting out of this abusive, whatever the abuse is uh, that I'm dealing with. And I'm making these strides. Step one, step two, step three. The last one you had on, you said, celebrate successes. Sometimes we don't do good at celebrating ourselves, man, and our successes because some kind of way we feel like that's wrong. I can't celebrate yeah. myself, man. I, that's pride. No, that ain't pride, man. That's celebrating the fact that you accomplished something. But some kind of way the enemy will twist that, twist that on us, man, to make us think that we're being prideful, man. So hit on that a little bit. I mean, you know, we we taught to be be humble, right? And humble humility is important. I think humility has its place. But you know, you can you can celebrate your wins. You know, everybody that wins celebrates. You know, you celebrate every every champion celebrates. You know, the small every game that they win. Mm -hmm. They may not be the champion yet, but if they win a game. They celebrate because it gives them motivation to the next game. So you have to celebrate your small wins, especially if you're on a journey that you know the end result is this big thing but you got to celebrate the small wins along the way you also have to expect setbacks mm -hmm. you're gonna have setbacks you're gonna have uh stumbling blocks but you have to be you have to be resilient you have to have um what it takes to be facing a, a, a difficult situation mm -hmm. but be able to still overcome and keep pushing you know what i'm saying and so celebrate those small wins if you try to stop drinking and, and, and you go one day without drinking and you've drunk every day for the last year and you got one day of sobriety, celebrate it. You yep. know what I'm saying? It, it, when you get to seven days a week, celebrate that. 30 days, we got another celebration. That's what they do in AA. They give you the tokens. I don't know if you guys know about that, but it's a celebration. You don't have to be like, oh, I'm better than you because right. I did this. You know, it ain't, you know, but you it's totally fine to celebrate yourself because you need that. It's that it creates that sense of uh, feel good. It's everybody needs to feel accomplished in this world. Yes. And so celebrating yourself is a part of feeling accomplished. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. man, that's big. Nashville, again, we want to thank you guys, man, for joining us. Uh, if you're just not tuning in, you done missed a lot. But if you're just not tuning in, <laughs> uh, the Black Man Ventu podcast, yeah. we present to you again, Body Mass Index of Abuse and a Black Man with Mr. Eric Capehart. And man, uh, closing questions, yeah. Pop, if it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I want to just ask you, man, about your family, man. Uh, just share with Nashville, man, about your family, what uh, within your life, has allowed you to be the family man you are today? How does your job help you to be the family man when you done heard uh, uh, Sharonda talk to you about Ray Ray, how he ain't nothing, and then you gotta go home and be a family man, man. Talk to Nashville about the family man and how yeah. that just, just yeah. keeps you going each and every day as we yeah. close out. Man, I'm a family man, you know what I'm saying? I'm glad you asked me about my family and I appreciate you asking about my family. Um, I, I'm married to my wife. We've been married for ten years, man. You know what I'm saying and, and, uh, it's, it's been it's been all good, you know. Um, ten years of marriage. I have a daughter. She's six years old, and then I have a son who's three years old. Right. And that's my nucleus, man. That's like that's 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 the home base. If if we're good, everything is good. And, and no matter what happens, if I if when I go home and we all good, which we are most of the time, when we're a family, we have difficulty, but. Yes, sir. We still together, so I'm. I mean, we good. If my family's good, my relationship with my wife is good. I'm good. I was talking to my wife just last night, telling her about how grateful I am that I have her as my life's partner, the person I get to do my life with. We're, we're easygoing people. We don't have no whole lot of drama. Never dealt with infidelity or none of that. Or I'm not saying if you have, that's the end of your marriage. Because I know people who dealt with all kind of stuff. Whatever your marriage is, that's your marriage. 
But I'm so grateful to have the woman that I've been married to for the last 10 years to be the mother of my kids. It's amazing. And so, you know, how do I like deal with my job? Um, My job for one gives me the freedom to to spend time with my family. I do spend time, you know, a lot of time at work. Well, I'm not gonna say I spend a lot of time, but I do spend a decent amount of my life at work, but I have set it up as such that I can have free time with my kids. Right. When my kids are out of school, I'm not working generally because I pick my kids up from school. I take them to school and I pick them up from school. Yeah. We have when they're out of school, we go vacations, we do things. But my job and my career has given me opportunities to do that with my with my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spend a lot of time with my kids. You know, I almost I mean sometimes it's like, all right, y'all, like right now, like when y'all going back to school, y'all been out of school like this <laughs> <laughs> it's time to go back. Yeah. You know, I know when they go back, you know. Uh, you know, I'm going to be wanting to spend that time with them. Um, the way I separate my work from 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 home, I don't bring this up home with me, man. Uh, and I think it goes back to my calling because I'm not thinking about my clients past when they leave out of here. Uh, I write the notes that I take for them. I might, you know, have thoughts about it, but I'm not thinking about it. I don't mean that in a uh, negative way, but Right. I have boundaries. I don't go home and talk to my wife about my uh, clients. That's just, and first of all, I'm not supposed to do that. Right. Yeah. Well, I leave my work at work. When I'm when I'm in this office, I'm 100% available to my clients. Right. But when I get up out of this office, yes, sir. I'm a family man. That's what I'm doing. I'm fa- I'm hanging out with the family, or or hanging out with my uh, mentor that I talked to, Ron, or some of my friends. Man, I just have good boundaries. Uh, my phone, I have I I, I, I don't have a person that, I, that works for me uh if you call my office you're gonna talk to Susie. you're not gonna talk to me like boundaries yeah. um if you email me you know she screams out the, i mean just have these different things in place so that i'm not bombarded with all these because there's a lot of people i mean i have a, a caseload i can't be all things at all times to all these people right i have to put things in place to kind of give myself some buffer so that i can actually enjoy my life you know i do hear the worst of people's lives yeah, I hear the worst of people's lives most times, but I'm working out. Uh, I'm, I'm until I have a spiritual life. You know what I'm saying? I'm doing the things for my own self care. The journaling that you guys, uh, your dad saw. I do all this stuff so that I can be a balanced person, so that my life is not consumed with with work. So, man, um, I'm glad you asked me about my family because that's like my my three values in this order are spirituality, family, and work ethic, and it happens in that order. Yeah. So I, I have to be, those are my values. I'm a value-driven man. And so people around me, if you were to ask them, what is what does Eric value? I would hope that they would be able to tell you one of those three things. I mean, not may not be able to tell you all three or in that particular order. Right. But, you know, I want people to be able to say that, you know what, Eric's the family man. Yeah. Because uh, I am. Yeah. Man, praise right. God for that, right. man. Man, yeah. uh, before you get off, I'm going to let my son close out. We'll close out. But I got, you know, we do this for each guest, man. We got one more, man. And what we want you to do, man, is is uh, give us a lasting uh, uh, tidbit, man, for somebody that's dealing with abuse. And then give us ways that they can contact you if necessary because you are in that 1% of black cancer. Yeah, so just, so do that for us, man. Oh, uh, right now? Uh, yeah, give us the last mm-hmm. little bit, man. Oh, man, so I want to let people know that somebody does care about what you're going through. Mm-hmm. You know, I hear a lot of times, uh, people don't care about what I'm dealing with. No, man, somebody does care, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you just got to believe that somebody does care. So no matter what you're going through, somebody cares. Yes. Um, and if you are a person that needs help you can contact me you can go to my website ericthecounselor.com it's real simple eric that's my name ericthecounselor.com you can call my office 815-813-5053 you can find me on all the social sites which i'm sure you guys are going to post that there but somebody cares you got to know that somebody does care and the help that you need is available to you if you are vulnerable enough to reach out and find it Last real man, we want to thank you guys for joining us this Monday morning. This has been the Body Mass Index of Abuse and a Black Man with our special guest counselor, Mr. Eric Capart. Man, Eric, man, thank you, dude, yes, for thank you, man. being a vessel yeah. man to thank our community you, and thank being um, a part of our platform, brother. And um, Nashville, pay attention as we always do. Drop the uh, tag links, if you will, social media links 
phone numbers, emails, all this stuff, man, to get right directly in contact with Mr. Kpart, man, and you'll be able to share with him and just uh, be able to venture out to him and talk to him as, yeah. as I know he'll talk to you. So, Nashville, again, man, we want to thank you guys for joining us. Body Mass Index, again, of abuse and a black man with our special guest, Mr. Eric Kpart. Pop. Hey, Mr. Eric, again, man, I, I'm appreciative for you coming on our platform, man, and just giving us this time. And uh, we just thank you for being a positive black male in our community, man, because you are you are killing the stigma of black men are negative and black men don't have nothing going on. Well, you just killed all that this morning, man. We preach that. That's a lie. It's yeah. a big lie. Exactly, because that's what we're trying to do. My son says, and I'm going to take it from him right now. He says, we're trying to reframe and recreate the uh, image of the black man one episode of a time, at a time. So I think we was able to do that this morning, man, a little bit further than we are already off. And I'm going to say, as I always do, closing out, man. Until next week, Nashville, it's a wrap. Black man, don't get trapped. It is what it is. It ain't what it ain't. You can do what you can and you came with what you can't. This has been another episode of the Black Man Vent 2 Podcast. Good morning. <laughs>